Today's show is brought to you by Vinyl Me, please. Join the Record of the Month Club at www.joinvmp.com forward slash holy backward. All right, everybody, welcome to the 146th edition of the Holy Backboard Podcast. I am Dustin here in Rip City, and I got my man. Sage, chilling, man. Just got done playing MLB The Show. Been hitting mad dingers in my uh, Road to the League uh, playthrough, so, you know, I'm fucking with it. First of all, shout out to the Oregon women's basketball team for making the final four for the first time in program history, dethroning Mississippi state twice back-to-back runners up a number one seed. Uh, I was there Friday for the sweet 16 matchup against South Dakota state. Uh, The RG was packed. I mean, they had only 11,000 seats available. Those 11,000 seats were packed. Great energy. Uh, the ladies put on a show. The game this afternoon was even better. Wish I had the funds to make that happen, but I watched it on TV with Olga. One of the best games I've seen um, any sporting event, bar none. Both teams playing at an elite level. No turnovers. Hardly any fouls. Great defense, but better offense. I mean, basketball at its finest. So I will definitely be uh, cheering on the Lady Ducks. And, you know, even if you're not a Duck fan, like, Please watch Sabrina Ionescu and, you know, Satu Sabali and all of them because they have legit talent and fun, super fun. So uh, that was the highlight of my weekend was watching those those ladies hoop because it was it was gorgeous basketball. And it's even better that it was in Portland. I want a WNBA team back. At least let's host a Final Four. Why the fuck is it all the way out in Tampa Bay? Get Tampa the fuck out of here. The Rose City is where it's at. Being in the mode, it has to be a humongous advantage for the Lady Ducks because, I mean, it's damn near a home game. Yeah, I mean, Portland was one of the regionals. Uh, I, a few years ago, they, they went away from the north, south, east, west, or midwest. However, they used to mm. geographically break down the regions, and Portland was a host site. I believe Oregon State University actually hosted it, and everyone knew. As long as the Ducks had a good season, they were going to be a one or a two seed in that region. Uh, they ended up with four losses. I believe they were the top-ranked number two seed. Mississippi State was the top-ranked or the worst one seed. So ultimately, that that's how the cookie kind of crumbled. And you know, Oregon was inevitably going to have the home advantage, but mm. so be it. Oregon beat them once already this year. So we, you know, Mississippi State lost three times this year, twice to Oregon. Ducks were the better team, but hats off to the Bulldogs. Uh, it was it was a fun matchup. How many Oregon uh, but- games do you catch? It's it's nice that the the women's game is starting to be broadcast mm. more. Uh, it used to be very difficult to catch them. Once in a while, they'd be on ESPN, but now the Pac-12 network's picking up games. I've seen quite a few on ESPN. I watched um, all of the Pac-12 tournament. I watched uh, three of the four uh, NCAA tournament games, and usually when they're playing Oregon State or in, in Pac-12 tournament play, basically when they're on. I mean, I, I'll, I'll try to find them. Good shit, um, man. Yeah, I mean, they're just, I mean, it, it's its a once-in-a-lifetime type of team, and they've made the Elite Eight three straight years. They finally got over the hump. Um, you know, the men's team made the Final Four in 2017 and made a basically an impromptu Sweet 16 run this year as well. So uh, the Ducks are playing some, some great hoop right now, and the Lady Beavers were a four seed. Uh, and the men's team had the best regular season in, in quite some time. So, you know, I'm all about the state of Oregon uh, showing up and showing out, especially for for the Pac-12 and another team from the state of Oregon doing it on uh, the professional stage. Our Trailblazers really had you experience what life was like without Yusuf Nurkic this week. And I would say, as expected, uh, went two and one on the three of the four game road trip so far. Uh, a drubbing of the Chicago Bulls, one eighteen to ninety eight on Wednesday, backed up with a, a pretty impressive victory, same score over the uh, the surging Atlanta Hawks. Uh, again, the twenty point victory, and then uh, it looked like it was either a schedule loss or they were coming back down to earth. 
We will find out more on Monday, but Saturday's game was not for the faint of heart. Uh, Portland holds Detroit to just 11 points in the first quarter, yet the Pistons managed to end up with 99 points. Portland could never get any offense going outside of Ennis Cantor, dropped a nine-point contest, 99-90 to to the Detroit Pistons, who had won, I believe, 10 straight at home in Big D. So the Blazers are now looking at six remaining games at the moment, fourth seed in the West. Uh, they are 48 and 28, the same amount of losses as the Rockets. The Rockets have one more win. So if they were to end in a tie, Portland would get that tiebreaker. But again, without Yusuf Nurkic, who knows how these six games are going to unfold. CJ McCollum, we still do not have an update on him. It just makes it so much more difficult to predict who the Blazers are going to play. The Blazers did get some good news on the scheduling front today as the Thunder were upset at home by the Dallas Mavericks and the San Antonio Spurs were also upset at home by the Sacramento Kings. What this means is the Blazers only have to win six games. They only have to win twice more. Two more wins and they are guaranteed a top six seed. Three wins, they are guaranteed no worse than the five seed. That's good news if you're a Trailblazer fan looking to avoid the Denver Nuggets or the Golden State Warriors or even the Houston Rockets Mm -hmm. in that first round. And and it's really starting to take shape over these last, uh, you know, 10 days before we get to next Wednesday when the the regular season has its finale that it's looking like the Blazers are going to play the Utah Jazz or the L.A. Clippers as long as they get three wins. And all things considered, you would take those teams right now. Absolutely. Rudy Gobert kind of presents a matchup nightmare for us, but he probably would in any case. And then the Clippers will just give up points to opposing bigs. So we got we we have guys that can score offensively in our posts. So that's a pretty big advantage. And then we just have you know when once playoffs starts, it's all about the stars. It's all about your best players stepping up. Clippers really don't have it. It's like you know all B minus players. Or, you know, C-plus players stepping up. We have an A-plus player, and during the playoffs, the A-plus player beats all the Bs. You know, absolutely. And looking at the schedule the rest of the way, Portland has three at home, three on the road. They never play consecutive games at either venue. Mm. They have the Timberwolves in Minnesota come home to play the Grizzlies, a back-to-back against Denver, home and away at Los Angeles to take on the LeBron-less Lakers, and then to wrap it up at home against the Sacramento Kings. I think Portland got a sneaky good result tonight when Nikola Jokic gets ejected. Game's tied at 88. Mm-hmm. They're playing at home against the Washington Wizards. The Wizards go on to take that game. The Warriors just blow out the, the Charlotte Hornets by 47 points. Golden State now has the one-game lead. The two teams face each other in the Bay on Tuesday. If Golden State gets that again, it's virtually a lock that they are going to hold on to that one seed given the the strength of schedule that each team has to play. Denver is much more difficult down the stretch. Why do I say that is a sneaky good result? Because the Blazers have to play the Denver Nuggets twice. If Denver knows they are guaranteed the two seed, I mean, Portland and Houston mathematically could catch them. I I would say that is a, a long shot. Uh, I don't know the tiebreaker scenario between the Rockets and Nuggets, but Portland definitely will not get the tiebreaker over Denver. It could come to a point where at least that second Denver game, Sunday, April 7th, They're just Denver, chilling. Will have their, Denver will have their position locked up mm-hmm. and they will rest, guys, which making Portland's game a lot more manageable. Because if we look at that schedule, you you want to say you're going to handle business against the Grizzlies and Kings. And hopefully against the Lakers without Lonzo, Ingram, and LeBron. I mean, we know things can happen, but the Blazers did a really good job against Chicago and Atlanta. Both teams tanking, not trying to really play with a lot of veterans, uh, a lot of young talent that you still have to watch out for. Um, And JaVale McGee's been playing really well lately. Yes, he has. But you still feel comfortable that you can get three three Mm. wins there and at least get a, a top five seed. Now, where it gets dicey is the Utah Jazz, and they have such an easy schedule the rest of the way that Portland, if they want home court, 
they, they have to keep winning. So that's where you want to see them beat the Denver Nuggets at least once. But ultimately, and we're going to get to this, I think Portland's home court chances all weigh on the shoulders of this next game, Monday night in Minneapolis against the Timberwolves. Because you could play schedule maker the rest of the way, and God forbid we know games aren't played on paper, and if today was any indicator, why would you? Because all there were so many upsets. But if you, you would realistically say Portland should be favored in every game except in the Mile High City, mm. giving Portland a 5-1 and one finish to the season, which guarantees them at least the four seed. And if Houston loses once, they are guaranteed the the three. So a lot is still... Mindy's kind of the, the whammy. The yeah. My question to that is, outside of Carol Anthony Towns that has a lot of money on the line uh, for getting all NBA, who else has the incentive to play hard that's like established? Wiggins has his deal. Wiggins has his awful team destructive deal. Teague is out for the year. Derrick Rose is out for the year. So there's it's young bucks playing. But this is a damn important game for the Blazers. So I don't think we would take the we wouldn't we wouldn't take it easy on this team. Besides Carl Anthony Towns, that Carl Anthony Towns is fucking tremendous. He's been been killing it this year. Who scares you on that team? I mean, you said it. They're not established, but Tyus Jones is playing for his next NBA contract. I mean, he was, you know, Derrick Rose and Jeff Teague basically cemented him to the bench, and now he's finally getting to start. You look at the rookie, Josh Okogie, who, again, is looking for a rotation spot in, in next year's lineup. Saric has uh, restricted free agency coming up pretty soon, so he's going and to Taj want- is a free agent, I think, too. And I think Taj Gibson is going to be out for, for this contest. Um, so, so it's those three. I mean, you, you know... I will the, add one more. Uh, Bates Dio, Diop. He hasn't been playing too well lately, though. He's still pretty nice. Like, you can see the skill. But, yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, but, I would say the reason this game scares me is because they beat Golden State. And um, I believe they beat... Um, they lost to Philadelphia. But they played the Sixers... Sixers tough. So, so, so my hope is that they see Portland injured, hobbling. They're not up for this game. They've they've kind of spent their emotion, and Portland goes in there and just handles business. I mean, we'll we'll talk about that game down down the road in, in this episode. But I think the big topic is life without Yusuf Nurkic, and I don't like it for the Blazers. It's well, nobody likes it. But I, I thought they, I thought they played extremely well, given the circumstances. And if we look at, I, I think you can really, I don't want to say just throw away the Chicago game because I've seen many a Blazer team pass lose that game to that type of Chicago team. Um, hell, we saw Portland blow a game to Memphis last year when um, Marshawn Brooks came out of nowhere. The Grizzlies this year, bro. Like yeah. a few weeks ago. <laughs> so I, I've seen Blazer team do that in, in the past. But again, it's it's not a solid litmus test. They handle business fantastic. I think the bench scored 70 points. That was incredible. The Atlanta game, I guess over these next six games, you're either going to be glass half full or glass half empty. If you're glass half full, you point to the Atlanta game. Trey Young has rookie of the year aspirations. John Collins just is a, is a rim rocker and Kevin Herter can shoot. Vince Carter is still playing. I mean, if you're playing at 40 years of age, you're not tanking. You're going all out no matter what. Mm-hmm. You're playing for the love of the game. Um, Dwayne Dedman is a free agent, so he's got a lot riding on this. And I, I really thought that Damian Lillard set the tone. He matched Trey Young bucket for bucket in the first. Portland changed up their defense on Young, trapped him out a little bit further away from the basket, and he was quiet the rest of the night. He only ended up with uh, 26 points. He only had eight points, and he had he had to take 25 shots to get those 26 points. And Dame, they had no answer for him. 36 points, seven assists, three rebounds, 13 of 25 shooting, got to the line six times, hit all six. So Damian Lillard is going to have to be the usage monster. More, 
yeah, he, he's just going to have to be more aggressive. Mm-hmm. And he was with, with CJ out. We saw, we talked about this on last Sunday's episode. It was a different deadlier game where he was setting the table, but also getting his, well, one reason he was able to set the tables because he had his pick and roll partner, Yusuf Nurkic in the lineup with Nurkic out. I need to see Dame be more aggressive and kind of set the tone early and hopefully that opens it up for everyone else because my fear is if this team gets down early, I don't know if they're going to have enough to mm. to make a charge. I mean, Lord knows this team fully healthy was never a comeback team. I believe we've only had two wins when trailing after the fourth quarter. But you look at the production that the Blazers got. You know, Seth Curry, 12 points on only nine field goals. Al Farouk Aminu had 17 and 11 on nine field goal attempts. Uh, Ennis Cantor, 14 and 8 on 11 field goal attempts. So Portland was getting help. If your glass half empty, you point to the Detroit game and you say, okay, this is really what it's going to be like with without Yusuf Nurkic because despite holding the Pistons to 11 points in that first quarter, the Blazers weren't able to do much better. We had 14. Um, we had a nice run where we went up 32 to 20 with about four minutes to go in in the first half. But the Pistons were able to put 79 points on the board in 28 minutes. I mean, just that, that, that to me is incredible how we were able to play such good defense. And then all of a sudden we just decided not to play that pick and roll. And as Cantor was, he tried his hardest, but he is not Yusuf Nurkic. I yeah, mean, he's thought, he's just he just isn't the same type of defender. Not at all. I mean, Nurk held this same Andre Drummond to 11 rebounds two Saturdays ago in Portland. Drummond was everywhere. He had 22 and six, 22 and 19, four steals, three blocks, um, nine of 13. That's just Yusuf Nurkic being a better player than, than Ennis Cantor, and that's something that we're gonna have to get to get used to, but. Where Portland struggled was Dame wasn't at his best. 23 points, but took 25 shots to get it. Um, Al Farouk Aminu, 0 of 9. You know, Rodney Hood, 3 of 11. It just, nobody really had it. I mean, Mo Harkless, 10 points, but took 11 shots to get it. Uh, really outside of Ennis Cantor, who was 9 of 17, had 20 and 15 and two steals of his own. I mean, so he almost matched Drummond, which... Given the rosters, I mean, Blake Griffin was a late scratch. You take that any day of the week, but we just didn't get enough enough help. And um, I think time will tell what scenario is more likely down the stretch. The optimist in me wants to say, you know, it was a back-to-back. You know, Dame was on Instagram Live at like 3 a.m. Detroit time going into an ice bath. So you get a really a firsthand glimpse at just how hard traveling is on an mm-hmm. NBA player going from Atlanta to the to the airport to the hotel in Detroit then oh you got to recover your body and take this ice bath at three o'clock in the morning and God knows when you have to get up for a seven o'clock game you got to go shoot around got to do media um, there's just so much responsibility that goes into that and they're without their second and third best players so it could have just caught up to them in the playoffs you get two to three days off in between games. Uh, no more back-to-backs, I believe, for the Blazers um, this season. There may be one. Um, yes, there is one to end the season, a Tuesday, Wednesday. But it's short. We come mm. from SoCal to Portland, and hopefully we have our position uh, locked up by then. Yeah, hopefully it doesn't really matter. But, but Sage, what are some concerns that you have? If we're looking at the Detroit game, so if the Detroit game is the blueprint for this is life without use of Nurkic. What what concerns did you have? I mean, obviously, it's got to be the pick and roll defense. I mean, Enos tries; he absolutely tries, but he just isn't the pick and roll defender that we all hoped and thought. Or, no, he just isn't a good defender, and it's something we're gonna have to live with. Um, and it, I guess, it means more in the playoffs. It means more minutes for Zach just to play deep, so we can be a good pick and roll defensive team so that means he has to step up but i don't know man like in my mind i'm really glad that we had two gimmies before we had the the pistons game because if we play the pistons game first 
I think there might have been like you know some sourness. I don't know, man. Like we don't only played one real game without Nurk. I mean, I know Chicago and Atlanta are teams, but like I want to see what it's. I want to see more than just one real game that I had to pay attention to for like you know comp comp game. Yeah, for for me, it was role player production and. The bottom line is we can't have Alvaro Camino go 0 for 9. At this point, he is too vital mm-hmm. on offense for him to go 0 for 9. He he needs to be consistently good. And is that asking a lot of him? Absolutely. Yeah. When he was the fourth or fifth option in the regular season when everyone was healthy. But right now, Dame is going to look for him. Chief's been with Dame for four years. And... He's going to get left open. He has to knock those shots down. Um, you look at Jake Lehman. If he's going to continue to play, he needs to hit a fucking jump shot. Um, yes, it's great for us that he's not knocking them down now because his value is is in the toilet. But at the other end of the spectrum, if he can't knock down a jump shot, this is hyperbole speaking, are we even going to want to sign him? Yes, you bring Jake back because he has potential. But at the same point – Dude, your form is fantastic. You're getting wide open looks. You have to make these. I mean, Jake to me is a legit X factor if he's going to get an increased role because unlike anybody other than Damian Lillard or CJ McCollum, he can get to the rim mm-hmm. and he has the ability to to shoot for, from distance and be a true game changer. Um, unfortunately, outside of that second half against Dallas, his shot has been, you know, MIA. And to be honest, I, I'm not entirely hopeful it, it's going to come back. But I think you, when you look back at the season and you look back at how the playoffs ended, Portland's results, I think you can tie them. Not entirely because that's not fair, but a good chunk to Jake Lehman. You know, you are starting. And even if CJ does come back, you are going to be a sixth, seventh man off the bench. You're going to get looks. You, you just have to knock them down. And again, I know we're asking a lot uh, of Chief and Layman, but that's what happens when we want to talk about next man up. You literally mm. have to take the role of the player that you're replacing. Well, with Layman, one thing I've noticed is, yeah, his shot's been ass, but he doesn't let that like fuck up his entire game because he is drive. He is getting those dunks. He's getting tip dunks. You see him hustling. The shot is absolutely off, and they're, I mean, like, but at least he's providing other things in the game, because he's he's super athletic. He needs to use his athleticism to be a positive thing for the Blazers, so at least he's use, doing the effort plays offensively and rebounding-wise for us, but the, the shot definitely isn't, is worrying me. I mean, and, and I think we talk about Jake. This is really the first season he's getting role player minutes. I mean, big big time starting starting minutes. You know, we played 25 minutes against the Pistons. Portland brought in Ennis Cantor, and they brought in Rodney Hood. I feel like Ennis is holding up his end of the bargain. To me, Rodney Hood's just been too inconsistent. And two episodes ago, well, three because we did the NERC, um, Nurk won, but you know, two weeks ago when CJ went down, you know, I sat here and said, I expect Rodney Hood to be that player taking his game to the next level. And I think Seth Curry's going to struggle. And it's been the complete, it's opposite. been the complete inverse. I, I was pulling this up and for my stats to be right, do you think Seth picked his game up when CJ got injured? Because yeah. I have to do these restrictions. Yeah. To, to me, yes, because he knew, even though he wasn't starting, that he's going to get double-digit shot attempts. He's going to play 30 minutes a night. Uh, he doesn't have to worry about, even if he gets hot, that CJ is going to come in just because that's the, the rotation pattern. He knows he's probably going to end up in the finishing five. And, you know, I don't have the data, but just I'm pulling from, it up right now. from recollection, I would say he's been part of the finishing five since CJ McCollum went out. CJ on the floor, he's getting about 20 usage a game. So he is 
he's being a very big factor offensively for us. Like he's he's taking his game to the next level, and he's the one that you know we talked about it. Like, is someone going to outplay their contract for us? It looks like it might be Seth Curry being playing too well and being too valuable on the open market for us to retain because he has taken advantage of his opportunity pretty well. He's been killing it, man. He's been really good for us in every uh, aspect, really. He's been he's been that consistent two uh, shooting guard. And I think what Seth is doing is he's playing within himself. He's not trying to do too much. I mean, I think he had a floater that went in um, against Detroit. But outside of that, he's been getting open looks or he's been, you know, doing, you know, one dribble pull-ups, pump faking, letting the defender pass, and, you know, just really knocking down his, his shot. For me with Rodney, I feel like he's trying to almost shoot like Seth or Damon. He, he's shooting way too many threes or way too many like deep twos where he's been most effective during his tenure as a trailblazer has been when he sees a matchup going down low and just turning over that shoulder and scoring in the, in the post. Like that's been a high percentage play for Rodney and I just haven't seen enough of it. He did it a couple times against Detroit and then just went away from it. So I want to see Rodney really take advantage of his height down low because, you know, we're, we're going to need him. Yes, he's going to have to hit the three because if, if you watched the second half of the Detroit game, even though Dame did not have it going, they still doubled him and trapped him out deep in half court, forcing others to really hit those shots and that's why it's so imperative that if jake's going to be on the floor he is a long-range threat the same thing with the menu you know at the moment dame and seth are the only long distance threats unless myers is playing but if myers is in there you do give up something on the defensive end so it's almost like and i hate to say this if you look at the blazers they could be uh, a sinking ship with you know a couple of leaks and you know you try to fill one but then another one starts coming, you know, with Nurkic really solidified multiple leaks. And it, 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 it's frustrating, but at the same time, it's hard to get upset because this is a, a tough hand we were dealt. And I, I think if the Blazers have a strong finish to the season, have a strong showing in the playoffs, it, it's going to be because the role players stepped up or we, we shot the ball really well from downtown. You know, the three-point shot in today's day and age is the ultimate equalizer and frankly, when you shoot four for 21 and you only get 11 free throw attempts, you're going to lose a game. And that's really what happened to the Blazers. I was disappointed we lost, especially with Blake Griffin getting that that late game scratch and really holding them to 31 first half points. But um, it just wasn't in the cards. And now the Blazers really are, are looking at if you want home court. I honestly think the Minnesota game is a must win. I think if you lose that game, you're probably not going to get home court. If you win it, you probably have enough in the tank to hold off the jazz. And the reason I say that is just because Utah has such an easy schedule. They have two decently tough games down their final two of the game of the season. Excuse me. But outside of that, it is a lot of like Lakers and, and wizards and Suns, And so they've, they paid the price early on in the season, but now they're reaping those rewards. Uh, one other thing I want to touch on Sage can we please just let Anthony Simons play backup point and not let Evan Turner see the light of day on the court? I mean, it just, we're not getting any offensive production from him and two assists is is not cutting it, cutting it for me. I mean, I I honestly think if you gave Anthony Simons 16 minutes, he would do better than over two from the field. Uh, He'd give you more than four rebounds and two assists. I mean, to me at this point, Evan has been so bad, even, you know, by his seasonal standards since coming back from that injury that, I mean, I I just don't see any value that he's bringing to the team. Anthony's definitely part of our future, right? Do you think Evan Turner is going to get another contract for the Portland Trailblazers after his current one is done? If he does, ooh, there's going to be a lot of upset fans. Well, it cannot be as lucrative. It it have to be some like, yo, we gave you four years of extremely high salary. Take this one year. No, <laughs> no, no. 
Absolutely not. Like, so I, I, Sage, I've tried. Like if he does a good pass, I'm like good pass, Evan. But then he'll throw it out of bounds, or he'll miss a ten foot jump shot. Do you think he's hurt, or I don't something's I mean, wrong? Because he wasn't this bad before. Yes, I mean, I mean he's I, at a new level of bad. Yes. So I, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt and, and say he's probably dealing with with something because you're right. He, this is a new bad for Evan Turner. When he shoots, everything is completely long. Like he, I think if it was Popovich, Anthony Simons would be playing those 15 minutes. Isn't that kind of what he did with Dejounte Murray to kick it, off it, his career? Yeah. Kind of threw him in there. Yeah, you got to give your rookies, you know, that chance. You got to give them that royal jelly. The royal jelly is playing time. If you have any idea that that player is going to be a good player, you got to give him minutes. You got to throw him in. Be sure to take him out if he's struggling, but like give him time on the floor. It's invaluable for his career. Evan Turner isn't going to be on our team. The best thing about Simons is there's no scouting report on him either. No. Like who the fuck watched his high school games last year? I'm. I know it's a high school, but whatever the fuck it was. Like, no one's watching this dude. Like, the only people that know who he is is Blazer nerds. Like, each team has six coaches, and they're responsible for watching every game. They split it up. They're not paying attention to Anthony Simons in the fourth quarter of a blowout, man. Give the kids some run. Evan Turner isn't going to be part of our team in two years. Anthony is going to be on the team for eight. It's just, it, it, it's plain and simple. Like, give the run to the young guy that's hungry as fuck. I mean, Evan Turner's, he is what he is, but he's playing really bad for Evan Turner. You know, I think everyone was resigned to the fact that it's going to be tough for the Blazers not only to keep home court advantage, but but now win a first-round series without use of Nurkic, let alone um, a less than 100% C.J. McCollum. So you're absolutely right. There is nothing to lose for the Blazers right now. Why are we playing Evan Turner, who is not deserving of, of the time that he's got? He has not produced. Give, should, give those minutes. Shouldn't that be the case, Sage? Shouldn't you have to earn your, your playing time and earn your minutes? And I, I think that there's a bias towards Evan Turner because he's been on the team for X number of years. And there's that trust that he has with the coach. But wouldn't it be more beneficial to us as a – organization to give Evan Turner's minutes to Gary Trent and Anthony Simons give them you know a little bit of run to end out the year especially in the game where if we get it locked up shit we should not be sending our boys out if we got our spot lot it's the Anthony Simons show for that last game but I don't think we can expect that to happen just because of what Evan is as a player and how much you know the coaching staff trusts him they're they're going to get him out there for 14 minutes and it's just because of the whatever factor that evan turner has over coaches he has 18 points over portland's last 11 games in march hasn't scored more than four yeah, points a replacement a point guard is gonna do better than he is but are you gonna tell terry stotts this shit like He's shooting 20 8.6%. But he's been there for four years or three his years. March, his March numbers, 1.6 points, 1.1 turnovers, 2.5 assists, 3.2 boards, 29%. 15 minutes. You're not telling me Anthony Simons couldn't do that? Fuck out of here, man. Like, I, I'm sorry, like... It just I try to give him credit when he does something good, and then it's just two shitty plays. He is not helping the team clearly, especially if he's hurt. So, you know, this season took a bad enough turn. Like, can we just not play play this dude? He's gonna play eighteen minutes every game for the rest of the season, bro. It it is what it is, man. Like, ter- if Terry Stotts is the player coach that everyone assumes he is. He's going to play Evan Turner, his guy, 18 minutes, the backup minutes to Damian Lillard, or the backup minutes to CJ. I don't really give a fuck. It's Seth and, Seth and, uh, he are gonna 
back up the two guards, I would assume. At what point does that become reckless, though? When you know a player is out there. I just guess that he's hurt. If Evan hasn't told been talking about injury, but like from a coaching perspective, you're playing a guy rotation minutes consistently. I mean, Mm. this is this isn't a small sample size. This is a full month. This is double digit games. You're trying to keep home court advantage. At what point does loyalty get in the way of being reckless? Because to me, that's what it seems like. Yes, Terry is stuck with Mo Harkless. I don't think Mo has really lit the world, lit the basketball world on fire. But he's been okay. I mean, and I think there's Jake, ma- I think Jake could... slump, slumping off a bit has mm-hmm. made that a more acceptable decision. And I know I'm I'm being very very picky right now, given the current state of the roster. But again, if we're trying to look for a silver lining in a tough season, which we saw with CJ in 2015, Simons is fearless, and I'm not saying he's going to win us a series or even a game, but. I would bet his production is going to be better than what we're getting currently from Evan Turner. Do you think CJ McCollum's going to play this season? Regular season? No. Do you think he's going to come back in the playoffs and kind of suck? Hmm. Actually, do you know what? I take that back. If CJ is healthy, he should play the final game against the Sacramento Kings just to get into basketball shape, just to, to trust that knee. Um, that's going to be a really tough ask of CJ just to be like, hey, dude, I know you've been out since, you know. Yeah, because people are they- assuming that he's going to be CJ McCollum. He's yeah, going and- to be a hampered CJ McCollum. Tell me a guy that has been out for a month or however long he's been out and comes back and lights the world on fire consistently for four games. It might be one, but there's going to be a trail off period where Evan Turner is probably going to have to eat minutes at the two or. We're going to have to trust our shooting, our young guns to, to play. So maybe Terry Stotts knows that uh, CJ isn't going to be CJ and he's getting Evan ready for the 15 minutes of run. I'm making that shit up. I trust me. But like, I, I don't like that people assume that CJ is going to be CJ McCollum, man. There's so, like, maybe if he's superhuman. He'll light the world on fire for this playoffs and we'll win the series, but you got to have that thought in the back of your mind. All right, we got to get these guys ready to get that those extra minutes when CJ isn't CJ. I mean, CJ was already extremely... Um, Scoring dependent. Yeah, and extremely high variance this entire season. We really didn't know from a game-to-game, game-to-game basis where he was going to produce and for the most part it was either extremely good or extremely subpar mm-hmm. so there was not a lot of consistency already from a healthy cj mccollum you throw rust um, a month of rust mm-hmm. in there plus the mental um the mental aspect of not trusting your knee completely thank you and the shape i mean there's no substitute for playing basketball mm-hmm. you, practice that there's no substitute to get into basketball shape other than playing a regulation full game of of hoop so there are so many factors and yeah i completely agree with you sage that i think it's really difficult to ask cj to come back and just be him that's why i want home court advantage so badly because role players tend to play better at home and i i wouldn't want the team to come back to portland down oh two and yes, yeah, CJ's got two games under his belt, but there's going to be a lot of doubt creeping into everybody's minds. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, if you handle your business at home, the role players can make up for CJ getting into the swing of things. And then CJ takes those two games and hopefully you steal one on the road in game three or game four. Come up 3-1 heading home for game five. Obviously, that's an ideal scenario. But at this point in time, you have to take it where you can get it if, if you're the trailblazers really facing this reality of a tough stretch run without your center your your post your all-world defender and who knows what percentage we get from mm-hmm. our 20 22 point per game score so are we just expecting dame to go full harden in the playoffs 
He has to trust his team more than he did in that overtime game where he didn't pass it at all and took a half-court shot. But you have to expect that he is going to take a lot of the usage, a lot of the possessions, and make it a Damian Lillard type of offense where like we have to do everything we can to make it easiest on him because he has to carry us for four games, seven games, ten games, however many games we play. 16 games. He has to be the catalyst for every single one of those wins. Because if he doesn't have a good game, I don't think we win a game. Win that game. I think this is a very crucial postseason for Damian Lillard, the player. I I know if he has a subpar postseason or if the Blazers lose quickly, a lot of the narrative will be that CJ and Nurkic were hurt. And that is true to a certain extent. But if CJ does come back... I still look at this Blazer team pretty similar to the Blazer team that won 49 games and headed into last year's postseason as the three seed. Because if we all remember, Yusuf Nurkic was pretty disappointing last season on the offensive end. I mean, defensively, he was pretty strong, but there were stretches where he wasn't playable in that New Orleans series. So Damian Lillard was... You know, they threw the kitchen sink at at, at Dame. He did not respond as well as he would have liked. And I know he prepped all offseason for dealing with that type of defense. But to be quite frank, Utah, Houston, Los Angeles, those coaching staffs are all going to draw up something similar, something to disrupt Damian Lillard. And I think this is a really big postseason for him because – no one's expecting him to win a series, but I think his numbers need to be better. And you're absolutely right. He has to play well for the Blazers to win. They cannot win a playoff game, let alone a series, unless he carries the team on his back. But that's what you ask of, of your superstar player. He aver- Nurkic averaged 14 points a game, uh, nine rebounds, 1.8 assists. And uh, 1.4 blocks. This year, he's he's boosted every single statistical category. And in the playoffs last year, he got 11 points in 23 minutes. So he really wasn't that much of a factor. Like, he played half a game, man. This year, we were expecting Nurk to rack up real big boy minutes. He isn't available to play, so we have to have 48 minutes of center go through Enos... Zach Collins and Myers Leonard. Terry Stotts is going to have to do a really good job at finding production at the center spot. But obviously, all of this is on Damian Lillard for whatever success we have in the playoffs. It's all on him. Yeah, and you you mentioned you know Nurk boosted up his his season uh, year over year averages. If you look at them side by side, they're pretty similar. But the major difference to me is the the eye test and. Nurk had a lot of explosive performances this year. I mean, you talk about the 5 by 5 game, the 30-20 games, um, the games where he just dominated Rudy Gobert and, and other top-flight centers. I mean, he took his game to a borderline all-star level. When he, There was no Nurk fever at all last year, I, I would say. No, everyone turned on him. I mean, he, was got, he got really thin. He was very impatient around the rim. Uh, didn't really have a post move to his name. Uh, this year, I feel like he got a lot more patient and comfortable in his new um, new body type and just took his game defensively, offensively. He expanded his range. He didn't um, – I noticed a lot more level-headed plays. Uh, he wouldn't rush it as much. And Portland is obviously going to miss it. But Sage – and I would like to add that his body language is so was so much better this year as opposed to last. Like, remember games where he just got frustrated and fucking had two straight fouls and sat on the bench? Yes. There was right, none of those. Right. There was, like, his... Everything about him was positive as opposed to last the, the year before it. So, like, Nurk changed his whole game around. I, I, like, I talked to Stu earlier today, and he was like, dude, I listened to that shit, and you were legitimately sad for Nurkic. I don't think he would have been that way two years ago. And I, I'm like, yeah, probably. Really. He, he he changed everything about him to be successful for the team. I've really fucked with him. Like, th- this is a big piece that we're missing in the playoffs. But that is 
what the Blazers it's life now, man. <laughs> are, are are looking at yeah. that this is this is real life. This isn't two K. Can't can't reset. You can't run it back. This is real life. Forty eight and twenty eight. Six games to go. We're gonna talk about the next four games this week for your Trailblazers right after this commercial break. Today's show is brought to you by Vinyl Me, please. Join the Record of the Month Club at www.joinvmp.com forward slash holybackboard. All right, everybody, Dustin and Sage here with the Holy Backboard podcast, ready to preview this week's slate of games. Sage, just as a recap and a reminder, Portland has the last of their four-game road trip tomorrow night in Minneapolis against the Timberwolves. Come home Wednesday for the fourth and final contest against the Memphis Grizzlies, and then a home and home Friday, Sunday against the Denver Nuggets starting Friday night in Mile High City. That game can be seen nationally on ESPN. This stretch is going to determine Portland's playoff fate. And I, I obviously, duh, four of the last six, of course. But these four games, I think, are the four most difficult. Um, not even the Memphis game is a gimme, given how beastly Jonas Valanciunas has played. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Denver is fighting for that one seed, and Minnesota just recently knocked off the Golden State Warriors, as we discussed. So let's dive right into that Minnesota game. We already touched on it a little bit. No Derrick Rose, no Jeff Teague, uh, likely no Taj Gibson, no Robert Covington, but they do have a player looking to make the All-NBA team, which would come with a financial bonus, um, and Carl Anthony Towns. Um, Andrew Wiggins, maybe the most high variance player in the league. And they've got a couple of young bucks, Dario Saric, Josh Akogi, um, Keisha Bates-Diaz, uh, really looking to make a name for themselves and earn rotation minutes next year. And they are 24 and 13 at home. So kind of reminds me of a Detroit Pistons type of team. Um, should be better, but they are really good against really good teams. Uh, my only hope is that emotionally they do not get up for this game after that thriller against the defending champion Warriors and Jimmy Butler's return when the Sixers came to town. Now it's like, oh, the hobbled Blazers are coming in. Hopefully they oversee us, and I hope mm-hmm. Portland takes advantage of that. What else do you see Portland could take advantage of? I mean, the lack of guard production, man, with Teague out, Derek Rose out, um, Robco out. I mean, where is their three-point shooting going to come from? Would I be wrong saying that Towns is the best three-point shooter Absolutely. of that starting five? Well, and, um, and I'm looking this shit up right now, he's probably their best playmaker, too. If you really wanted to get real with it, he's probably their best playmaker. Because uh, with... Derrick Rose, Jeff Teague, Robert Covington out. Carl Anthony Downs is the highest usage player by a long shot. Sets his team up. Like, he is that offense with all of those talented players out. He is going to be the head of the snake. This is the guy that we have to watch out for. This is who we have to set up all of our defense to stop. If I'm Terry, I think you significantly have to look at sending a double team. I mean, absolutely. Absolutely. A Kogi, Tyus Jones. I mean, Wiggins, you let them all shoot. You let them them, make, make them beat you. Do not let towns have a night like Reggie Jackson did or Blake Griffin did, uh, on two Saturdays ago. We cannot let one man beat us. Um, I mean, we have not played this team since December 8th. So you can throw the, the previous, three matchups out the window. The, both teams are significantly different. Um, to me, I think Portland has traditionally always done a really solid job on Andrew Wiggins. Mm-hmm. That was a lot of CJ for some reason. It was a lot of CJ. If I'm defensively looking at it, I may throw Dame on Wiggins because Wiggins really isn't going to try and post up. No. And I don't really want Dame having to spend a lot of energy running to double. Mm-hmm. That would leave a guy like Alfred Camino or excuse me, Mo Harkless kind of as a free safety. And he can kind of just roam and play off of Trey Jones or Tyus Jones mm-hmm. and, and run to, to take that 
uh, jumper or post position away from Towns, get in the lane, uh, steal the ball. Uh, like I said, just roam around and overall cause havoc. Because one thing we have is we have a lot of length um, in the, the wings. three, four yeah. positions. So this is what their team is. With all those people out, this is the most used lineup. Tyus Jones, Josh Akogi, Andrew Wiggins, Dario, and Carl Anthony Towns. Yeah, Dario. You don't leave Dario, don't and you can, Dario. you can double up, send the double off all three wing positions. End point. Nothing scares me except Carl Anthony Towns, who is going for the uh, top three uh, team in the NBA. Like, that is the one person you have to be worried about. Are you worried about Jared Bayless coming off the bench and sparking some shit? No. Josh Oakby is a low usage rate player that doesn't just he dunks well and people know him from that. Wiggins is mo- again one of the most high variance players in the league. Darius Sarich can hit threes, so you probably shouldn't blitz off that guy. But Carl Anthony Downs is the person that scared you, and that's the person that our coaching staff has to be ready to, de- to defend. What's your X factor? Carl Anthony Towns. Like, I mean, he's the only factor that scares me. No, I mean, Wiggins is fine. Like, I don't, if he, nothing scares me more than a Carl Anthony Towns uh, ceiling game. Nothing. To me, it is, and the broadcasters brought this up. I believe it was Lamar. Portland has not got non Damian Lillard starting three point shooting. From anybody. I think Chief hit one against Atlanta, and, and that was it. Um, none against Detroit. They are going to probably put a Kogi on Lillard or or send some sort of help. Mo, Chief, Jake, those guys have to hit the three. Do you think um, they put Tyus on Mo? I don't know what where they'll put him. Probably maybe on Jake Lehman. And if they do, Portland needs to again attack. Attack. Yeah. Attack the weakness. So aside from non-Dame three-point shooting, I'm going to say my X factor is Damian Lillard versus Carl Anthony Towns. Mm. Which superstar plays best? Yeah, which one produces more? Because, yes, Dame outproduced Trey Young, and that was the difference. Mm-hmm. He kept it going. So, w- overall, how are you feeling? Win I think loss? it's a win, but I want to say, Lamar Hurd has been, he's been doing a lot better with the announcing. He's dropping stats that like I'm looking up right now in games. Like he's definitely been a lot better than he has in the past, and I actually am enjoying listening to him. But I think we're gonna win. But it it, re- it really is Dame versus Cat. Who's out producing who? I just think we have more assets to score against their really shitty guards than. I mean, we can throw Zach at Cat. We can throw a bunch of players at Cat to make him think, and I think. Dame will just eat up Tyus Jones, Jared Bayless, Josh Kogi, and uh, Andrew Wiggins. Oh, man. This is a literal coin flip. I Before the show, I was like, yeah, we're going to lose this game. But just for the sake of positivity and sending out those vibes to the team, I say the Blazers win. Probably going to have to be a Damian Lillard buzzer beater. But, oh, I do not, do not feel good <laughs> about this game. Uh, Wednesday night. Rose Garden, Blazers, Grizzlies, the final of four. Uh, Grizzlies actually up 2-1 on the season series and recently handled the Blazers. Um, Mike Conley had a career high. Jonas Valanciunas did business. I am nervous as shit for this one as well. They've been playing great basketball lately. Like, don't don't tell me they're tanking because they are trying. It feels like every game they play, it's it's been... It's been close. I mean, I, I know they kind of got their their lunch handed to them tonight against uh, the Los Angeles Clippers by, by 17 points. But hopefully they're not as good on the road as they are at home because they have been giving a lot of elite Western Conference teams trouble at the grindhouse. Thankfully, this one is in Rose City. Yeah, I mean, it looks like... It, uh... Mike Conley and Jonas will play this game, right? Because they aren't on the injury report. It's uh, Kyle Anderson, Dylan Brooks, Avery Bradley, Jaron Jackson, CJ Miles, who's a Blazer killer. Uh, Joe Keem's out. Uh, Mike Conley did not play tonight. Oh, he didn't? Okay, so I'm looking at bad information. Um, if it Conley looks like comes... they are resting players a bit. Jonas mm-hmm. only played 20 minutes tonight. Chandler Parsons got 25 minutes. 
Um, they gave a bunch of people who I have no idea, I've never heard of before, um, rotation minutes. I mean, Tyler Dorsey got 25 minutes. Tyler but- Dorsey has been a daily fantasy like value guy. You have Dorsey, you got Deer, uh, DeLon Wright. I mean, shit. They're 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 throwing they're throwing out some people. I mean, Bruno's starting for him. X Factor is my pops. Undefeated with pops in the gym. That includes the Warriors game before All Star break. So it's not like we're going to a bunch of gimmies. Blazers get this dub. Me and my pops in the gym. That's that's all you need to know. <laughs> I like it. Uh, I'll go with that as well. Do you think Valanciunas would be a top ten center if he was given legitimate center minutes? He will be next year as their starting center. Yeah, he's, he's he's a great pickup. That was a. That was a I nice don't know. Deal. I do not know why Toronto made that trade. It was a terrible trade for Toronto. I really like him, but I don't like people are saying that he's better than Embiid on Twitter. So it's, it confuses me how some people could see because of head to head matchups against Embiid that Embiid's the worst player. He Valanciunas is really good, but Joel Embiid's probably the best center in the NBA. And then Portland ends the week. Back-to-back against the Denver Nuggets. The Nuggets have been slipping at home lately. I mean, they've lost to the Wizards. I believe the the Mavericks almost got them. They lost to your Pelicans. Um, the Utah Jazz beat them. Um, so, yes, 31-7 and looks really nice on paper, but they've hit a rough patch at home. Jokic has got tossed a couple of times lately. His stats this still, look a lot worse. This still is a team without a true number two player. They got destroyed in Houston, did rebound back-to-back, and handled OKC by 10, so that is an impressive victory. Um, I honestly think just going down there, we've played them so tough lately, but without Nurkic, I don't see any scenario where the Blazers beat them in, in, their, in their gym, yeah. I, I just It's been a house of horrors for Portland for so long. And like I said, I think Denver's going to know their seeding by the time that Sunday game comes around. Because I, I anticipate them losing to Golden State. So they would be down two in the loss column. They would not have the tiebreaker. And now you're looking at four games left, three games left to go down. That It's just, it's, it's not going to happen for them. So hopefully they're taking their foot off the gas a little bit and trying to see some of their young players um, get some extra. I have run. a feeling that Sunday game could be a lot like that two years ago. We mentioned it on the podcast. We had no CJ. We had no Nurk. We needed to win to get into the playoffs. Dame drops 59 on the jazz, a really good mm. Utah team. I think Dame just goes off and I think cements our hopes for home court advantage and possibly the three seed on Sunday. So I think we lose on Friday, come back, Denver, maybe rest a couple guys a little bit, but Dame says enough. Mm -hmm. I'm going and drops and goes God's mode. I I think he might, I think he might drop a, drop a, a 50 piece. Hmm. That's a really good, you might have swayed me. I, w- I didn't think that we were going to beat them at home, but I think in our gym, it's a much better chance. So I'm going to go uh, three in one week. And to me, this week is so crucial because if you go three and one, I think you virtually lock yourself in to at least the four seed. Mm-hmm. That, after all this shit that we've gone through, a four seed in the playoffs, man, we have a chance. I mean, just looking at Utah's last two games, they end the regular season in Los Angeles against the Clippers. And you better believe the Clippers are going to be fighting the Spurs and Thunder for playoff positioning. Mm-hmm. Um, the night before, Utah, again, will be home against Denver. So that could be a scenario where we talked about Denver having their position locking up could hurt Portland because, you know, on paper that looks like a really tough matchup for, for Utah. But if I'm saying that Denver's already having it locked up, then I have to kind of give them that, yeah. that same same respect. <laughs> so it'll be so, a lot of Malik Beasley and Monte Morris instead of Jamal and Gary type of thing. So, so it looks, if I'm predicting it, 
Portland can't lose more than twice the rest of the way. Because if Utah loses to the Clippers, that would be their only loss. Um, it's very easy. They could even go into Los Angeles and beat the Clippers. So just to be sure, Portland can only lose one more time. So it's going to be tough. I, I think Portland's going to obviously – you could you could sway me three, four, or five mm-hmm. where Portland ends up. I don't think they drop down to six. We would have to go two and four the rest of the way, and the Clippers would have to win out. Um, that's going to be a tough task. But again, it, it all starts with Minnesota. If we lose to Minnesota, we're not going to get home court. Just just gut feeling, playing the schedule. But if you beat them, all of a sudden it's looking really good. And it sucks that one game kind of has all of that value. But Utah has got it stuck on automatic, and they're playing a lot of gimmies. And it's just... Uh, Don't I get tripped up on the whammy. Yeah, I, I really wish we had that tiebreaker, and, and we don't, and that sucks. But we do have the tiebreaker against Houston, so let's fucking win out. Let's get that three seed, and let's play the Clippers in the first round and Denver in the second round, because that would be ideal. All right, if you fuck with us, tell a friend. We're on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, all of the feeder sites. Um, if you've listened this far, you're a real one. And we would love it if you five-starred us on iTunes and left a good review or a nice review, something that makes us happy. We're going to do some big shit this summer. So be on the lookout for some more Holy Backboard stuff, and we will be back to you next week. Wherever you may be, this is Bill Shinley. Good night, everybody. Let's go! Let's go.